welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today is a fun day for me. I've got a good friend of mine on today, somebody that I respect in the industry tremendously, somebody who uh, I've been getting to know better and better uh, from working in a lot of different efforts together. But we have Jim Wong today, and Jim is the president of Sperry Commercial Global Affiliates. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on today. Michael, thank you so much. It's an honor and privilege to be on, and uh, I just love uh, what you're doing and all that you've been doing for the community and for the real estate uh, industry. So thank you. And it's uh, uh, buddy, thank you so much. And listen, right before we were recording this, we were just talking about the the craziness of the world we're living in now. And before we even get to all the questions, I just think we just getting your your opinion on coronavirus and what's going on and it seems as though you know it, it, the world has stopped it's it's it seems like it's armageddon it seems like everyone is you know don't go to the office don't get on a plane don't get on a train what's going on yeah no well, you know like i was saying before it feels a little surreal where uh, before it, would, it came to America, we just saw these heat maps and the maps of China, and we were like, oh, you know, that looks pretty bad. And then as it slowly started creeping around the world until it really started impacting America, we we're like, wow, this is real with all the events being shut down, with all our industry events, and just everything now affecting our daily lives, so much so that, you know, literally I'm just sitting at home doing work. And probably a new way that everyone should be working is kind of virtual, online, through Zoom, uh, through the phones. Uh, more often, I, I think I've had more phone conversations, Zoom conversations over the last couple of days than sometimes I've had in the entire month. Yeah, it's true. And you know what's interesting is that is it's especially what you were just talking about because I actually was traveling in those zones where those hotspots were before we even knew what was going on. And Thankfully, it's, it's, you know, I, I have like this immunity of, of steel, but, you know, I was in China in December, I was in uh, Japan in January, both in, in speaking engagements. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that it, what, what I think is, is really great, I guess, in a way when we're talking about this is that they already seem to be going over on the other side of this. They've gone through, it seems, the worst of it, hopefully. And, you know, in China, they've gone back to, to the offices. They've gone back to work. Um, you know, Singapore is actually looking at some interesting market uh, rebounds. I saw an article today talking about the Hong Kong market and developers that lowered their price to boost a lot of the market and it worked and now they're getting multiple offers on things because you know the the hong kong market was really priced out of a lot of people's range and now they see it as an opportunity but yeah i mean it, you know it looks as though this whatever this thing is it's going to be doing a a global sort of circle here and you know what michael that's so interesting because Obviously, the news that we get is really from what we see on TV, but because you have so many contacts and relationships internationally, you're almost hearing it firsthand how things are actually changing in the countries that maybe have been hit first. 
and now we're kind of going through it. And then, you know, for me, I don't see any other recovery except for what I see in the U.S. news reports. Right. But it's really interesting from what you're saying is that they're kind of coming out the other side already in some of the uh, other countries in Asia. Definitely seeing that, which is a great sign, obviously. And, you know, and then on the flip side, it looks as though Europe is unfortunately, especially Italy, um, going through a bit harder time than, than we are because of the lack of planning, it looks like. So it's, it seems like it's running the whole spectrum around the world in different areas. Um, but a really, really sort of interesting, you know, sort of phenomena that we're sort of dealing with. It's a brand new, it's, it's a brand new thing to, to think about. Uh, yes. And, and one of the things when you were talking about uh, the price points where people were uh, priced out of the market, then through this, uh, you know, crisis is opportunity is looking for kind of the silver lining and keeping organizations and groups you know, really calm and focused to the business and to the goal of what they're trying to do. And, and one thing I know uh, you wanted to ask is like, what do I see that's going on? And, and definitely one of the things that we've all seen is the lower interest rates with the Fed. I mean, rates of lows that we haven't seen in 50 years. And right now, a lot of times the houses or commercial product haven't calibrated because when we had a talk at our company meeting, saying that there's anywhere from 50 to 75 basis points lower of what you could probably refi your property for. Think about the Bank of England lowering the rates based on what the feds did to 25 basis points. I mean, it, it's, it's insanity to, to think of that, to stimulate their economy at a post-Brexit area. And now you actually add in coronavirus and, you know, it's like, how do you make that make sense to anyone? Yeah, I just think you got to always look for that silver lining, stay focused, stay calm, right? Don't panic. And even with the oil crisis that's going on right now, that uh, Saudis dropped uh, the, the uh, price per barrel <laughs> just to undercut the entire world uh, oil uh, uh, costs and supply. Uh, th that's the other situation. But I say staying calm. Uh, looking for the opportunities like the uh, low interest rates while there's an imbalance and and really refining and repositioning what you should do. And one of the things that I told everyone at the company is to call all your clients, talk to them about the low interest rate, talk to them about kind of what's going on and opportunities and keeping them focused rather than panicking. But I do know so many that had money in the stock market it's almost like when you're telling people, you know, uh, buy low, sell high. They're selling high, buying low, and right. repositioning. But they are looking at trying to buy hard assets like real estate. So I think even through this, as long as you, you really talk to your clients and stay ahead of them and, and give them good information, they are looking now to stay in these hard assets where they're seeing the stock market really now tumbling over 20%, which is just crazy over the last, what, week. It is nuts. It's an official bear market, absolutely. It's the idea of that 20%, but you know what? You're right. It is that idea of having to have the discipline to stay calm because the first thing that you think of when the stock market is going down and you see your portfolio going down, oh my God, I should sell before it goes to zero. If you're holding stocks that are, that are stable stocks, it's not gonna go to zero, you know? 
and we there are there are safeguards in place. I mean, today with the market correction, second day in a row. I mean, I went on a shopping spree. You know, I actually sort of went and, and leveled out my portfolio today because it's. I came from a banking world. I came from a financial world, and it's it's what you're supposed to do. It, and it's that type of discipline that I think you're right. You can't panic. You know, this is a temporary thing that the world is dealing with, but there is that camaraderie of the fact that you know that everyone's dealing with it in a sense. Exactly. And I think if we can talk and influence our organizations and the circles we surround just to keep calm, keep focus, yeah. and just letting people know there's opportunities and working with each other to, to keep that focus, you know, we will come out much better than panicking uh, or really throwing the baby with the bathwater out and just, just, just overreacting when you should stay calm, you should stay focused, you should uh, communicate with uh, the clients and the people around you to make sure that there is that level of, of security, you know, especially with leaders and influence in the, in the industry is just, just stay focused and stay calm. I mean, I that's, that's absolutely true. So Jim, let me backtrack a little bit. Let, tell me a little bit about, you know, I've had a lot of guests on here that have really focused on new developments and, and a lot of residential real estate. And, and I'm really excited to have you on today because you have a different point of view. You come from it from a commercial point of view with being president of, of Sperry. And um, for the listeners, would you give me a little bit about your background, about Sperry, about the market in Southern California, just to really get a better flavor of your influence, your point of view as part of this conversation, I think would be really interesting. Great. Yeah, yes. Uh, so with that, I, I really kind of fell into commercial real estate, uh, went into finance uh, with Dean Witter back in the days, back in the 90s. Sure. And kind of moved my way into portfolio management where I worked kind of for a, um, uh, a mergers and acquisition, acquisition part uh, for a large uh, tenant and common company. So I kind of ran into real estate that way. And then I realized that we were doing a lot of acquisitions from Marcus and Millichap. So I was like, wow, you know, I want to take the opportunity to go work for Marcus and Millichap. You know, as everyone knows in the commercial real estate industry, probably one of the better training uh, places for commercial real estate and learning the basics. And as I went to work for that company, I kind of learned and grew and then it really started acquiring more properties into po a point where I became more of an entrepreneur, left Marcus, created my own firm, BRC Advisors, uh, first grew syndication, asset management, property management, you know, a lot of ancillary businesses that are attached to commercial real estate. And then really got through the 2009 recession where I know we could discuss more about what was life-changing for me, really survived the 2009 recession into a point where, you know, I was on certain people's radar for acquisition or joining other large firms uh, until I met Rand Sperry almost about four and a half years ago to help him start the new Sperry Commercial Global Affiliates uh, that we started. And we've been growing it quite well to basically a national, international platform. Uh, in commercial real estate at this time. So uh, the growth was pretty good after the last uh, four or five years that we kind of got to a good point. That's amazing. That's a, you know, and, and I, we had a similar background because I came from finance as well. I was with uh, Deutsche Bank for 10 years before going into 
um, into the real estate side also. So I know, I know that world. I know, I know the journey that you've walked. Um, but tell me, how did you even start with finance? Because as I understand it, you have a degree in chemistry from UCLA. So you were smarter than to get into finance in the nineties. What happened, Jim? Well, you know, <laughs> like, like all good, uh, uh, I guess uh, Asian parents, they push you into engineering or medicine. So I, had, I was on a pathway. Michael, you were right. I was on a specific pathway being groomed a certain way. Uh, but then actually speaking to a cousin of mine, one was a doctor, one was uh, in finance. They told me, you know, unless you really love being a doctor, don't do that. Uh, it's better go with your passion, go with what you like to do. I liked finance and back in the uh, kind of the go-go 80s days, yeah. know, Wall Street, <laughs> fun. So I said, hey, why not? Uh, let's do some Wall Street stuff. And it really just kind of then led me through the path of then portfolio management and then real estate. So it was almost better uh, lucky than smart. Uh, you know, the path just kind of pushed me along a certain way. So I kind of so fell into it. Into that <laughs> we, were, we were in the, excuse me, we were in that, um, finance industry around the same time, but you look a lot younger than I do. So I don't know what's going on there. So there's something going on there. So, but listen, I went on to your corporate website and to your Sperry website, and I actually liked what you put up there as your principles. And you had 10 principles and you know them very well, but yes. for our audience, it's uh, accountability, discipline, fun. That's a great one collaboration, ethical integrity, perseverance, community outreach, excellence, and passion. Now, from those 10, it's like asking you to pick your favorite children, but I want to know what your top three would be for you and why. Yeah. So I would first to say passion would be the first. It's what I've learned kind of through course of my life is don't do something you don't love. If you do what you love, you're retired and life is fun every day. So always go and try to find your true passion and really that purpose. And life is great. You know, I love commercial real estate. I love figuring out puzzles. I love leading our organization and creating something different, right? I don't like when people say, well, that's the way we've done it. Because to me, when I hear that, that's a sure sign that you're going to fail and things are going to go bad. <laughs> Just because you've been doing it for so long doesn't mean that that's the way you're going to be. And it's always to keep really open-minded, uh, teachable, and, and just doing something you really enjoy. And I always enjoy passion of helping other people and solving problems <clears throat> and in the real estate world. I mean, this is something I truly love. And that kind of gives me into community outreach. Uh, like what I'm doing for ARIA, uh, the Asian Real Estate Association of America. It, it is just a great organization to give to your community, to help out, to create that voice within your community, which is, I think, very powerful. And I know uh, one of the questions you are going to ask is what changed my life? And, and one of the life-changing big failures of my life, catastrophes, pretty much, made me reassess what my life was supposed to be and where I should go. And, it, and one of it was really reaching out and helping the community, which then leads me to the third part, which is collaboration. I love working with many different groups. I believe serving your community is great, but then working with other communities, other organizations, other people, 
is just as valuable and necessary because we don't live in a bubble or in a silo. We have to work with all these other people's, you know, like how we're solving the issue with the coronavirus now, it's we have to work with each other across not just America, Asia, Europe, everywhere, because it is global and the world is global and we need to learn and look at through the lens of working with others and, and embracing the diversity and the differences to, to find that, that strength, you know, because we're all gonna do something good and bad, strong and weak, but working together, I think, is how we really just make ourselves all better in the long run. You know, I love the three that you picked. I love the idea of passion because it really is what gets you out of bed, right? It's the idea that what you're doing, you're doing because you love it. And it's the other thing that was interesting, it's um, when you start hearing someone saying that's the way we've always done it. And it always is a red flag to me too, because then that person isn't teachable, right? And I know that you are inspiring to a lot of people, a lot of different people, and you're a great mentor and a great leader in the community. But somebody needs to be able to be taught and allow someone to do that. And I think that the greatest leaders and the greatest mentors also are the best mentees when they learn from other people. And it's always exciting to me to learn from uh, the people around me. I mean, I've learned a lot from you and working with you on Aria. And um, by the way, you know, for our listeners, you are the, the current president of Aria. And um, I um, have done a lot of work with um, the board. I sit on I'm the, uh, the chairman of the, uh, the corporate board of governors for Aria. And I've loved the idea of then bringing in the thought of collaboration. And the way that I got involved with Aria was because I sat on the board of NARAP. And it was really that whole idea of the communities coming together and learning from one another. And that's been really exciting with our collaboration, Jim, and our friendship, and really sort of from, from you and what, and, and what the community has done. So I love the three that you picked. Thank you. And, and, and I'm glad you sent it to me because I had to think about it. And I was like, you know what? You have to have those three and it's working because all the other parts come with the passion, the right reason of how you're and why you're serving and then working with others because we don't sit in a bubble. We don't sit in a silo. We, we all are, as we can see, interconnected. And it's so important that we, we really help each other. As a Absolutely. And so I know that I forwarded you some questions, but we're going to jump around a little bit because of some of the things that you just said. One of the things that you said on your community outreach is that you love to give back because there was something that happened that changed your life. Of course, I have to come back to that. What was it? What changed that your life, Jim? What was well, that experience? You know, yes. Uh, well, you know, after I was growing, learning how to do the commercial real estate, acquiring a good amount of buildings, uh, then creating my uh, management firm, buying other management companies, creating a finance and mortgage company. You know, I thought everything was great. You know, 2006, I think I was uh, retired and done and life was so much fun until 2009 hit. Then basically my life was turned upside down where almost everything I had was gone. 
everything I thought I owned, I owed money on because the, the, the market dropped below that the banks were calling in their loans on my second trustees. I had a bunch of employees where people were, were terrified that uh, they were going to get laid off. And then I figured that out. I had issues with, you know, not being able to pay certain bills, many bills. And I had to renegotiate. I, you know, I basically said I never begged, groveled, and just was so humble uh, to everyone. But, you know, going through that extreme, uh, extreme pain gave me clarity. It gave me strength to really go through anything in life. And it refocused me about community. When I, when I really looked in the mirror and said, what am I going to be known as? You know, creating a company to create money and a benefit to myself without now serving others. And I basically said, well, if I lost everything, if I served the community, served others first, I'm leaving, a legacy. I'm leaving something good for this world. And obviously I'm going to do the best that I, I want, I can do in anything I do. Uh, that's why the passion, I will always do what I want to do and give it a hundred percent, if not more, because that's what I want to do. And I, ch I chose to focus that, uh, have that kind of perspective of life and also live very low within the means, uh, not showing off. I've learned that, you know, I don't need a very fancy car or fancy this or fancy that, you know, I, I feel very comfortable in my own skin now that I, I can just be me and I love it. You know, I, I really got rid of all the toxic people around me, staying with all the positive, realistic people, people that are like-minded that want to make a difference in this world. But obviously they have the pride and passion of their own accomplishments just to do their best. So I love hanging around with that type of people. And then through that, you know, I serve the community and collaborate with other communities. It's really because of my upbringing. So tell me something, Jim, you go through, and I think that that was an in, incredibly inspiring story. I mean, it was, and I've, and you know, and I've known you and, and I've heard the story and every time I hear it, it actually gives me goosebumps because to go through that and, and have come out the other side more humble than when you started. And I've, and I know that you are a humble man. And, but tell me where that sort of like, was there a point where there's a breakage and it just sort of says, okay, I just have to give up. I got to like, stop fighting. Or at, that, at what point does it say, uh, I'm going to fight for this a different way. I'm going to be more creative. Where does that, where does that, because I think there's a great lesson that comes from what you just described and it's a valuable lesson. So where does that come from? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, usually at the worst, many people will abandon you. Many yeah. people will badmouth you. Everyone will say, I told you so, I knew it, right? In hindsight. But if you lay some good seeds, and if you are a good family member and friend, that is what helped me get through this. I had some very incredible friends that when I didn't have any money, I mean, I was in bad shape. I had friends coming out of the woodwork saying, what can I do for you? That's beautiful. Friendships uh, from anywhere from elementary school all the way through college, which I have a tremendous amount of good friends. They were all there for me in my time of need. And it wasn't always financial. It was just moral support. My family was always there saying, whatever you need, you can always come back home and start over again. But I needed that. 
even yeah. through the amount of pain. And I'll tell you, if you saw pictures of me back then and now, my face was entirely dark and it was cracking because the stress level, it was so intense. I, I only slept every other day for six wow. months. Uh, just because of the immense amount of stress. And it really was when I come back and in and, and retrospect, think about it, it was only being humiliated by failure, uh, loss uh, in a public way, maybe even written, being written up in papers and all these other things. But I learned that that's all it was. It, 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 was, yeah. it was just in my head where it was a perception of being a loser or something, right? But, but you're not but you're not, and no one is. And I think if anyone could take away, really look at what it is. Life is one of the most beautiful things you could be given. And just because you lose money, right, or assets, it doesn't mean that it defines you. And that's one of the big things I took away from that. that and you know, and, and that's an incredible lesson. And so, you know, you take a snapshot of where you are now, uh, a short decade later, and you know, you're, you're an incredibly successful businessman. You are the president of a very large commercial real estate company that is international. You're also the CEO of a private equity real estate firm. Um, and so when you start looking at this, and part of the question was going to be, you know, what's your discipline that you look at for the, the private equity firm? But now with what you just shared, I have a different question. So is the way that you invest in your business really um, focused and shaded by the experiences that you had and now the humility by which you face the market? And I'm, in, in a certain way, I would expect you to have a, a different respect for the market, right? In, in the fact of, you know, you were flying high in 2006 and all of a sudden it was taken away. Um, so does your investment philosophy differ than what you did 10 or 15 years ago because of the experiences you went through? Yes. Less greedy, still uh, thinking of the long term and why I'm doing what I'm doing. But it's, it's a little more disciplined. It's a little, I would say, um, conservative, but always looking for opportunities where when I'm doing things, I'm doing things for a different reason of more, I'd say, stability, building something more solid than taking too much risk. It's more calculated. And around me, I always invest in people, people that I believe in, people that I've been friends with, people that I've just been on the sidelines watching. So when there's opportunities to create new teams, to work with people, you know, as we all say, we enjoy to work with at this point, right? We can pick and choose who we do, who do we want to be with so we can work on projects and everything together. I, I think that's what I've really learned from it is I'm a, I'm a lot more focused, I'm a lot more grounded, and I'm a lot more patient in everything I do now. I love that. And, you know, and, and it's always that thing about building something solid, but something else that you were saying is that you invest in people. Right, and here you are as you know the CEO of this of this uh, private equity firm, and the president of a of a large company, and your key investment is in your personnel and who builds your business, which I think is a beautiful thing. Yes, because you need to to have those people around you. Like I said, when things get tough, 
We yep. need the yes people. We need people that are respectful, you know, uh, good IQ and EQ. That That's it. You and talk to you as a person, but knows that if we decide to do something, we do it as a group. Even if things don't go well, that we don't start pointing fingers because that never solves or helps anything. We work together to do, you know, as we could do, say, damage control, mitigating loss, but rallying the troops and the group as a team to move forward, right? Even if you don't want to be part of the team and you want to resign later, help us get through it and then resign because that shows your character. That's it. You actually are. That's you know, right. That's incredibly important. That's right. So let's go back a little bit. So, you know, we mentioned that you are the current president of ARIA. And obviously, an incredibly, you know, you're an exceptional leader. I went to uh, your installation ceremony, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, it was, of course, King James and everything else in your court. And it was just a lot of fun. You were relishing in that. And you're such an incredible leader in, in the community. And, you know, obviously, you've talked about your community outreach and um, and, and, you know, it's important for you, obviously, about elevating the Asian and, and Pacific Islander community for the real estate world in particular. But what are those lessons? Tell me about, tell me about why you're the president of ARIA. What does it mean to you? What was the catalyst for you to get so involved in, in your community and in the real estate world for your community? Yes. So with ARIA... You, one, one of the things I always said is I got involved in ARIA with, for an, with, with an accident. I miscalled a friend, uh, Peter uh, Park, instead of Peter Peck. And then when Peter Park, president of ARIA, Greater Los Angeles, he said, we needed a commercial real estate person. And I said, you know what, I'd love to teach yeah, commercial real estate to anyone that wants to learn, especially underserved, under, under um, represented groups because I did serve in a lot of uh, diversity within uh, many of the commercial trade organizations like CREW, uh, CCIM, uh, ICSE, a lot of different commercial groups. I've always served as the diversity person for commercial real estate, which I thought was a great honor. And I've always wanted to teach what I learned, right? Mentor help uh, from the mentors and teachers that taught me. So I've always wanted to give back. So that's how I got involved in ARIA is doing the commercial stuff. But also I've been involved in kind of the politics, uh, had a lot of very uh, high political friends. Most of them are in the highest positions in California, um, but 15 years of just being involved in politics. So I knew the power and the importance of the voice of getting people to work in a collaborative way to be represented and to, you know, as a census and everything to be counted and making sure that we are all representative in a way and you have to be organized and you have to work as a group to get your voice heard. You, you can't be a bunch of individuals running around, not as effective as large trade groups. So for that with Ari, I saw a need to really get involved on the commercial, teaching them and showing them more commercial real estate, but also adding what I know politically to their ARIA's main mission of sustainable home ownership and our national voice, but creating and, and really getting a lot more involved politically to just enhancing anything I can do uh, to help the AAPI community and our voice is very important to me. 
you know, we're, we're going to have a lot more in common, but we're certainly not going to do it on this podcast because I actually had a lot of contacts in California politics as well. So we probably have a lot more friends in common that we're aware of. Um, but that's a whole other conversation, I'm sure. That's a part two, uh, Michael. That's a follow-up. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other conversation and probably for a different audience. So we'll that's take right. that one offline. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, you, um, you, you talk about the community and you talk about the um, idea that your company, Sperry, is a global company and you're focused on, on global opportunities as well. And so you not only have an international presence, but you also know the importance of a global consumer in the U.S., obviously. So how do you attract them to the commercial world? Because we have a lot of this conversation about how do you attract foreign buyers for a residential property? But how do you attract a foreign buyer for a commercial property? So the best thing that I always told people, international commercial are pretty much hand in hand, like luxury, yeah. uh, because of the clientele are usually very high network individuals and they do do business uh, you know, across the country and world. So usually that client is very interested in commercial real estate. So it is not as hard, but what you need to do is constant market, educate and build strategic partnerships uh, all around the world to let everyone know what you're up to, what you're doing, how can you help their clients so they can really uh, plug into what you're doing. You know what I mean? So it's so important to be involved with the, the different international trade groups uh, to really market and educate other strategic partners of what you're doing so they can better promote what you're doing until you create a franchise, an office, a partnership, a formal one in other countries, right? Once you scale to a certain point where it makes economic sense. But I always believe that it doesn't hurt strategically educating, teaching, and giving marketing materials to people so they can promote your brand for you. And, and that's what a lot of things that we do is working through different groups. We just say you can plug into our system and create opportunities. So it's the same formula, basically. You go out, you market, you create relationships. It's no big secret. Everyone, I think, feels intimidated when they start thinking about, oh, my God, international commercial real estate. I have no idea how to even touch that. It's the same formula, isn't it? It is. But one of the things is most people don't make the commitment. They don't see the results right away. Right. Like a lot of things. They, they think they do it one or two times and they expect something. I've yep. spoken to people that uh, go to FIOPSI, MIPM, a lot of international functions around the world. They've been going five to 10 years, sometimes five years before they've seen something. Uh, but they have to have that passion, that goal that this is why I'm doing it. You know, that yeah. if you think one or two times it's going to get you business that easy, good luck. <laughs> that, that business is probably not too good because it's probably a wild goose chase. You know what I mean? It's just not that easy. You have to make a commitment towards international business if that's what you're going to do. And you have to jump in. You have to network. You can't just, you know, stay in your room or stay in the bar or go to a couple of things and you say it didn't work. You really need to, to just be a part of it and let people know that you're there and let people know what you're doing and what you're looking for. You know, all of this is about relationships. It's, no, it's, it's what our whole industry is about. Absolutely. A lot of people forget that with technology is a tool, but without the personal relationships, friendships, you got nothing. Absolutely right. 
nothing. It's so crazy. It goes back to those really basic things. So let me change gears a little bit. Yeah, so, and a lot of people are just making the excuses technology is taking away their business or this is taking away. No, it's you're not working as hard and now it's just getting harder to do the business because you now have to maintain your friendships, relationships, getting out there, right? Getting out of your comfort zone and staying consistent doing the business, not you know, oh, I'm just going to do an internet marketing. Oh, it's not working. I'm buying some leads. Oh, that's not working. You know, yes, you got to be open-minded. Yes, you got to go to trade missions and listen. But it's all, like you said, Michael, it's relationships, friendships, and like international, you know better than anyone else how to do that business because you've been laying the seeds and doing that business for such a long time. Yeah, and you know, and it's um, and it's one of those things, you know, while you were talking, um, uh, the book Ninja Selling came to mind by, by um, Larry Kendall. And it's the idea that one of the things that he always teaches is to write. Remember that? The old-fashioned thing of writing. Um, not sending an email, but writing and posting in the mailbox two thank you notes per day. And building the relationship in that manner. And could you imagine you open up your mailbox and and what do we get anymore because all of our bills are electronic nothing sort of like you know i don't remember the last time that anything showed up in my mailbox and um maybe my property tax bill or something like that but you you start looking in and all of a sudden you get a thank you note from somebody and you you know that's going to make a difference to you you're going to pick up the phone and say you know god that really just made my day thanks for your note and it's something that is so powerful when you start thinking about that it goes back to basics because we just don't do it anymore. We're all inundated in our world of technology and it's been wonderful. But if you just take a step back and remember that this is a personal relationship and that's how you build it, it's just, it just changes things. You know, Michael, and I think you, you said perfectly it really is back to the basics uh, back to the small things where you could do that handwritten card everyone's so used to just now sending emails yeah. or e-blasts or all these things and people just kind of tune it out that sometimes if you go back to the basics of the postcards uh, door knocking uh, relationship building writing personal cards you know all those and, and it is hard you know you got to retrain yourself to spend every day you know, 30 minutes, maybe in the morning, an hour at evening or weekends, and just being methodical about doing it over and over, that will bear fruit more than almost anything else is just doing those things that you said. It, it, it's so true. And, you know, and, and you and I both have seen that and we've been in this industry a while and it's, it's something that you, that you see. Um, but listen, I mean, let me change gears a little bit. Um, you recently got married. I had the pleasure of uh, knowing and, and meeting your beautiful wife. And um, as hard as you work, you have, you know, you're, you're, the, you're the president of a company, the CEO of another company, you're the president of ARIA. Um, you're doing a lot. How do you balance your work-life world? <laughs> and I'll tell you that. There is no such thing, but what there is is, uh, is communication. I love that. Marriage. Communication. I love that. You're just going to tell me it's another negotiation, aren't you, Jim? <laughs> it always is, isn't it? Except, uh, you know, you know I learned, Except you lose I that one. 
I learned. <laughs> right. But, but it is communication and letting them understand what's going on. Because even before I did Ari and a lot of things, it's out of respect that I, I communicated and let her know that I was doing this and to get her by and to say, is it okay? And when she said, yes, it is, even if as hard as it is, she goes, you're right. I talked to you. I said, okay, I have buy-in. And, and as long as you communicate what you're doing, where you're going and what's going on and, and having them able to come or, or be involved in your life so they see it, it makes it so much easier. But I would just say like everything in life, it's communication, open and honest communication really makes your life so much easier. <laughs> Well, you know what, and it, it really is wonderful because um, when when uh, she's around all of the Aria events, it it really is your your balance of of that, and you know it's such the fact that everyone wants a piece of you there, and when um, when she's present, it, it it almost just just on from my observation, it's you know it, it softens you because you're a beautiful couple together. It's, um, and it's wonderful because she adds a different layer to you as well. And, it, and it's just from an observation point of view, it's beautiful to see you both together. Michael, thank you for that. I'll let her know and I sure she would <laughs> she'll hopefully, she'll listen, hopefully she'll listen to this and she can hear it firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> She'll reach out to you and say, talk to Jim a lot more. <laughs> And so I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we've had a wonderful conversation, but I'm going to wrap up with a question that I ask a lot of my guests and you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I want to know um, really concretely, what sort of legacy you'd like to leave behind? I know that you touched on a few things, but um, tell me what that legacy is for you, Jim. Yeah, so, you know, now kind of in my second half of my life, I'm really looking at what the difference I can make. And obviously, Ari and the AAPI community is very important uh, that I will probably, whether it's moving up more in politics or through the political scene, I probably will be involved somewhere, somehow, so I can make a difference uh, in whatever I can and really bridging the gaps with other trade groups, uh, other communities is really important because it's just really how I grew up. I grew up in an all African-American Hispanic, then I grew up in all white, then I went to UCLA, it was all Asian. So it was just a, 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 just a diverse, diverse group. So I just really love people and, and I want to use whatever gifts and God's gift to me to just try to make as much difference and as much uh, lessening the pain and trying to solve you know, one thing is Aria's core mission, uh, sustainable housing, but housing for all, fair housing. Uh, also trying to create senior living centers because as people are getting older, they need a place to live. So there are some really large rocks uh, that I want to start working on. Uh, also the education that uh, I'm involved in, but using that political, that mouthpiece is to make this difference. And, and as I move on, it, I will get out there a lot more hopefully to represent communities and people to, to really make a difference from where I see it, from the lessons I've learned and the wisdom uh, of hopefully if uh, people see and believe what I've been doing for all my life now, uh, they'll, they'll understand. And it's really about caring for your own brother and sisters. So I'm, well, I'm going to try to put myself out there and be outside my comfort zone again. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you already are a great leader. 
you're a great man of integrity. And I think that you stepping into a political world will be something that would be of the greater good for whatever constituency you represent. So I am very much on your side for anything you decide to do there, my friend. Michael, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to speak on your podcast and really having that wonderful conversation. You know, we have more fun speaking like this than we have uh, running around conferences and everything. It's so true, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. (laughs) And I really thank you for the time and the conversation and the candor. And it uh, it was just a great discussion and I really appreciated the time, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you.